You know, <clears throat> tough questions is something none of us want to deal with. Uh, I would much rather deal, be much more enjoyable to deal with the easy questions. So here's a few questions that I would much rather talk about. Number one, how many national championships has Indiana basketball won? And that would be five. Soccer, seven. What about this? Question number two, what's the best Girl Scout cookie? That would be Thin Mint. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Wow, we do have a pretty shallow crowd today. Okay, number three, what do I want for my birthday? Answer, a hot tub. All right. Today's question is difficult. This morning, I want to talk to you about a place that does not get talked about very often. It's generally considered impolite, politically incorrect to even bring it up. It's described in imagery that is dark and black. Nobody thinks they're going to end up going there, but many do. This morning, I want to talk to you about West Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Seriously, I want to share with you the tough question. Am I going to hell because? Now, when Tom came in and he shared this with me, I'd like you to preach on this subject, and he left my office, I thought, why don't you like me anymore? I mean, I'm even related to you. I mean, what's that all about? But then I seriously began praying a lot because who wants to talk about hell? And yet when you look throughout Scripture, you realize it really does need to be talked about. But I want to warn you that there are two extremes whenever we discuss the subject of hell. Here's the first extreme. My family and I went up to Indianapolis for the Super Bowl festivities and uh, we're walking around down in the area there, and uh, there was Megaphone Dude. Have you ever seen Megaphone Dude? He's, he's everywhere, and there's a big event. And he's got a sign, and he's proclaiming, uh, repent or you're going to hell. And as I was getting ready to take the picture, somebody yelled out an obscurity to him, just, I mean, obscene. And here's what he said. You're going to hell, and your family's going to be there too. Here's the problem with Megaphone Dude. There was not one ounce of love. Not one ounce of love. It was as if he enjoyed telling people, you're going to hell. There's another extreme. It's avoidance. We choose intentionally to never talk about hell. And we feel as if that's not a dangerous place to be. So with our family and our friends, we dance around the subject because, see, we just don't want to discuss it because it makes us feel uncomfortable. So I want you to know this morning we're going to deal with three core truths biblically about hell. I want to give you a book. I want to recommend a book. It's called Erasing Hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. And another book that I want to recommend uh, that later on I'll quote is C.S. Lewis, uh, the novel The Great Divorce. But here's the first truth. Hell is a place of judgment and punishment. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 25 and just hold that in readiness. Daniel 12, 2 says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake to the everlasting life and some to the shame and everlasting contempt. What's interesting is when you take the Old Testament teaching of hell and then you get to the intertestinal period and then you get to the New Testament, 
many times Jesus would take the teachings of the Old Testament and he would say, it is written, and then he would add on. He did this with love and he talked about marriage and commitment to God. But when he got to the subject of hell, where he had every opportunity to soft pedal the subject of hell, Jesus talked more about judgment and hell than anybody else. 13% of his total teaching, he dealt with God's judgment. 50% of all of the parables that Jesus taught dealt with judgment and wrath and hell. If Jesus Christ talks so much about it, why is it we're afraid to talk about? Because it makes us feel very, very uncomfortable. Follow with me then in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 41. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. A couple of things that are very interesting about that scripture. Number one is Jesus points out that there's an absolute heaven and a hell. Here's the other thing. Did you notice who he's talking to there? He's talking to believers. He said, you think you're going on through life as if nothing matters. You're not even seeing the people in need right in front of you. You don't even care about those who are in the path of hell. You don't even care about them. You better wake up. Jesus uses another phrase whenever he talks about hell. It's the word Gehenna. If you do a word study on Gehenna, you'll find out it's pretty interesting that in the pagan culture in the Old Testament, they actually would go to this area, Gehenna, and they would actually sacrifice children and babies, and they would throw them in a fire. And the Israelites actually practiced the same thing with these pagan beliefs. You get to the New Testament, and somewhere in that time, Gehenna actually became this huge, almost place of sewage, uh, a trash dump where they dumped dead carcasses from animals. It was a place that they said that there was a fire going because the trash was so abundant. When Jesus used, <coughs> excuse me, that imagery, everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. This is not a place you want to mess with. We know about imagery in our life. If we use the town or the area, Auschwitz, and we talk about a concentration camp, what imagery comes to your mind? And even though Hawaii is beautiful, when you hear Pearl Harbor, what imagery comes to your mind? And if Jesus were to stand here this morning and he were to use imagery for us to comprehend hell, He would use a place that is so despicable we would understand this. You don't want to go there. Second of all, as hell is described most often with the word fire. In Matthew 18, 8, 9, it said, It is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 through 15 says this in verse 13. Each person will be judged for what they have done. 
Verse 14 says, and thrown into a lake of fire. Verse 15, if anyone's name is not in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. When you study, you'll come across opposing theological views. And sometimes these theologians drive me crazy. Being a former theologian myself, it is really appalling. And here's what some theologians disagree on. Whenever we see the term hell, and fire, is it a metaphor or is it literal fire? One scholar said, I have a problem with this because if we're thrown into an area of darkness, how could you also have fire? To which I would reply, dude, do you not get the point? What do you think Jesus is saying? What do you think the New Testament is saying when they use the word fire? What do you think that's all about? Here's what we need to understand. Any time that Jesus uses a metaphor, any time that he uses a metaphor, the story that he's talking about is nowhere close to the grandeur of the real truth. The moral of the story is always greater. For example, he said, when you plant a seed in the ground and that seed becomes a mustard plant, that mustard seed is amazing. Now that story is nice, but is, you know what's even more amazing? The faith that we have in Jesus Christ and where that faith can take us. Does that make sense? In Luke 15, he talks about a lost coin and a lost sheep. And he talks about this prodigal son. And the prodigal son comes home and the father runs to meet him. What a great metaphor. But that metaphor is for what? Not about an earthly father. It's an eternal father who is running to us and he loves us. Let me tell you why that's important. God never gives up on us. God does not desire for anyone to go to hell. I've heard people over the years will say, if you want to serve a God who sends people to hell, I don't want to surrender to that kind of God. To which I reply, God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's our choice. That's our decision. Our decision is to come to Christ and to surrender to Christ. The book that I share with you from C.S. Lewis is a very important book. And in it is this quote. He says this, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell. Choose it. I'd like you to turn with me then to Luke 16. This is one of the most heart-wrenching stories. Some theologians feel that it's a parable. Some theologians think that it's not a parable at all, that this is, these are actual individuals. But regardless, don't miss the point. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham... Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received the things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot 
nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. That scripture, if you notice, the words agony and torment are mentioned twice. But did you notice the glaring, glaring truth here that is so hard? When you're in hell, there is no second chance. There is no get out of hell free card. And I know there's some writings out there now and there's some beta of this. And you go through scripture from old all the way through. I do not see anywhere that there's a second chance. Heaven is real. Hell is real. But to me, here's the hardest truth, is that hell is void of God's presence. 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Shut out from the presence of the Lord. I don't know how many of you uh, are not musically inclined but love music. Is anybody like that? Love music, but you can't play an instrument, anybody? That's most of us. Okay. I absolutely love music. And my kids make fun of me all the time because I love all kinds of music. I have a weird display of things I like. If I hear a commercial and I I really like the tune, I can't wait to find that tune. And so I noticed in the last month, I was kind of going through some of the songs I've downloaded, and it's everything from, uh, let's see, Coldplay to... uh, uh, um, David Crowder's latest one, Adele, uh, Frank Sinatra. See what I'm at here? All over the place. I absolutely love music. And one of the things our family does traditionally is we go on family vacation. You know, we load the van, drive for countless hours. Some would call that hell. Okay. But anyway, I load them up. You ever been there, family? You, you load them all up. I try to get it on the road by 5, 6 in the morning, get them in there. And there's about a four-hour time period there where there's absolute silence. Some would call it golden. It drives me crazy. And I can't wait for one of the heads to pop up. You know, I've got to go to the bathroom. You know, so the head pops up. Music is on. Because I love music. Can you imagine a world without music? Just try to imagine a world without music. In 1978, I went to camp and uh, came home, brought my gear in, threw it down, Walked in the house, really strange thing happened. The house was silent. My mom was always there to greet me when I got home from camp. Usually it was something like, uh, did you break the law? Something like that. I came in, mom wasn't there. And I did what you did in those days, BC. You know what BC is, before cells? You'd sit by the phone. Anybody remember that? If you didn't know what was going on, you'd sit by the phone. So I sat by the phone. A few minutes later, the phone rings. (coughs) My sister calls and says, Mom's in the hospital, don't panic. Which I knew that was not good. And she said, the other thing is, she's not coherent. And so I called my buddy, got a ride to the hospital, and um, walked in the room, and my mom was incoherent. Didn't even know I was there. 
And I could handle that for about a minute. And I walked down the hallway and I looked at my buddy. As an 18-year-old guy, you don't cry. But I said, I am not ready to say goodbye to my mom. And about a day later, my mom came out of it and, how was camp? And did you meet any girls? And, you know, was she a Christian? You know, she was back in rare form. And, you know, the amazing thing is my mother did not go in the hospital again for 30 years. But when our family gathered around 30 years later, we had to say goodbye. Many of you have been there. And I can tell you as we whispered in my mom's ear, that the words we whispered is how much we loved her. And Jesus is reaching out. And we reached out and we said, Mom, Dad's he's waiting for you. And the hope that was in that room was amazing, but I can't even tell you the agony of saying goodbye. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I absolutely hate goodbyes. I have always hated goodbyes. I can't imagine a world without music, and I can't imagine life without the presence of God. And without the presence of God, that is hell. That's hell. And there are those of you right now have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're talking to your friends, and you're debating, is hell real? Is hell not real? And I'm here to tell you, it's real. It's real because Jesus said it's real. Which leads me to that second word that is so convicting. It's the word because. If somebody were to come to me and said, I'm going to hell because, my heart would break because immediately I'm thinking, there must be something that you've done that you feel deep down you cannot be forgiven for. You wouldn't ask, am I going to hell? Because if you didn't have something in your life that caused such a collateral effect on so many other lives that you feel like God cannot forgive you. Frank Warren started a blog spot in 2005, and he simply asked people to send in postcards of their secrets. He couldn't believe the thousands of responses that he got. And I'd like to just share a few of those with you this morning. It just shows you what people are going through and the secrets that they keep. Here's the first one. I want to be an artist. Here's the second one. While others pray in church, I bow my head and I think of television programs that I plan to watch. Let me just pause there. When I was a kid <laughs> and we were praying one time in church, I thought, what's going on during prayer time? So I opened my eyes. Anybody ever done that? And I just started looking around. And there was this deacon named Jim Simpson, and he gave me a stink eye. Like, you know... And I remember that sickening feeling. So here's the deal. Close your eyes in church. You, you have no idea what's going on in here. It's crazy. But here's this poor guy, and his secret is, I think random things during prayer. Number three, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I get terrified that this is all there is. And this one just breaks my heart. I tell people I'm an atheist, but I believe I'm going to hell. And the last one is, I'm not okay. I have a feeling that there's some folks here this morning and that's exactly how you'd sum up your life right now. I'm not okay. I'm not right with God. There's an amazing scripture that is so simple but yet so profound. It's Romans 6.23. And I'd like us to read it together. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? Here's what that means. The wages of sin. In other words, if we received what we deserved, our wages, we deserve what? Hell. We're all sinners. Everybody in this room is a sinner. There is nothing you could possibly do that is good enough to get you to heaven. We're all worthy of hell. But the great news is God says, I have a gift. And he reaches out with his love and he says, here's the gift. Here's the bottom line. All you have to do is open it. That's it. That would be like my kids giving me the hot tub and I refuse to get in it. Do you see what I'm saying? He gives us this free gift. Did all I ask you to do is open the gift. It's that simple. All I ask you to do is to give your life to me. It's free. And there are those that say, I don't want the gift. I don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus keeps begging, and God keeps begging. Here's the gift for the wages of sin. And if you accept this gift, there is eternal life. But if not, what? There is a heaven, and there is a hell, and Jesus taught it, and that's the truth. It's up to us to make a decision. Probably my most intriguing phone call ever it was a few years ago. I was preaching at the campus house on, I believe it was forgiveness, and I was doing some surfing, and I remembered somewhere I'd heard that Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, the serial killer, was baptized. And so I started doing some surfing, and I found out that there was actually a book uh, written, and his name was uh, Roy Ratcliffe. And so I started finding out where Roy lived, and I called the church, and the secretary plugged me right in, so I was talking to Roy. And uh, how do you open up that conversation? You know, are you the guy that baptized Jeffrey Dahmer, you know? And he said, yeah, I, I am. I said, I, I just, I'm, I'm so intrigued. Tell me the, the whole progression of events. So he walked me through the whole thing. And uh, I bought the book, and I want to share his words with you this morning from the book. No one said that Jeff would no longer be guilty of his crimes. He would not be released from prison, nor should he be. Dependent on his baptism. Baptism does not take away crimes. It addresses sins. The issue in baptism doesn't concern justice in society. It concerns the forgiveness of God. In the book, Roy Ratcliffe said that he had an appointment with a college student. And the college student came in and said, uh, uh, the baptism of Jeffrey Dahmer has caused quite a stir in our class today. We talked about it the whole time. He said, well, that's interesting. He said, what did the professor say? He said, well, the last thing he said was, if Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, then that's a heaven that I don't want to go to. To which I reply, that's exactly the heaven I want to go to. Because there were two thieves on the cross, and one rejected Christ. And the other looked at Christ, and he didn't cop out and blame somebody else. He said, I deserve what I'm getting. And Jesus said what? Today you will be with me in paradise. We have a decision to make. Because heaven is real, and hell is real, and if it matters to Jesus, it should matter to us. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. Let me tell you why that scripture, as I've been praying through this, is so important. I'm a parent. I have three kids. And I think it's prideful for anybody to say, I don't like the way God does things. 
This whole idea of hell, why would I want to surrender my life to God if there is a hell? That makes no sense. But here's the deal. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. Your thoughts are not God's thoughts. God's plans are not your plans. And they're not my plans. And if we're honest, brutally honest, his plan doesn't make any sense. If you're a parent, can you imagine sacrificing your child? Can you imagine that? No, it makes no sense. It makes no sense that on the cross, Jesus Christ looked up and he said, For, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because the darkness of sin fell completely on Jesus Christ. Now, does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. But that's his plan. It's his plan for each and every person here today. That's his plan. I do not understand his thoughts. I don't understand his ways, but I trust his ideas and his thoughts. I trust his way. And for anybody who rejects that, they're rejecting God. Psalms 25.9 says this, He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. When Tom came to me a few weeks ago, and he, he said, Would you preach this sermon on hell? I mean, I'll be honest with you, I just, um, I was nearly sick. Because I don't like talking about hell. And any preacher that enjoys preaching about hell, I, I think they have an issue. I really do. And I just started wrestling with this. And a couple weeks later, I had a prayer with Jimmy Kane, Claudia's brother, minister in our area. I just loved to death. And, and he said, how can I pray with you before I leave? And I said, you know, I'm preaching a sermon on hell in a couple weeks. And he said, oh, man, you better buckle up. He said, because anytime I've ever preached on hell, he said, you're going to get physically sick that week. He said, something's going to come out of the blue. He said, it's just, it's not going to be a fun week. And this last week has not been fun. Uh, cold came, I'm so hopped up on cough medicine right now. I mean, just, and, and just, it just seemed like one little thing after another. And, and I truly believe in spiritual warfare, and I truly believe it is so hard to talk about this but I trust God so much. And my prayer for you and for me is that every day we genuinely pursue God with humbleness and say, God, just open up your truth in me. And may I be humble and surrender to you. I just want to close. Uh, there was a book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, that had a great impact on me a few years ago. And in that book, uh, Jim Simbla talks about Dwight L. Moody. And he said, Moody was leading a crusade in Chicago, and he was just, he, and, and he said himself, he says, being clever, he said, I was just si systematically setting this congregation of people up for this big revival, and on the last night I was going to ask, what are you going to do with Jesus? She said, I would close the sermon, and then he'd say with that sermon, he said, we're not going to have an invitation tonight, because on such and such a date, I'm going to ask you, <coughs> and your friends, what are you going to do with Jesus? And he kept prolonging the invitation, finally, it got to October 9th, excuse me, October 8th, 1871. And on that evening, uh, the music began to swell. Moody was so primed, and all of a sudden there was a siren in the background. Now in Chicago, big deal. But he said the siren started getting closer. And all of a sudden somebody ran in and said, and there is a fire like you won't believe. And everybody exited the church. And it was the great Chicago fire. Duardo Moody said it was the most heart-wrenching night of his life. 
And he said he woke up the next morning and he made this promise to God. I will never, I will never have a meeting that I don't offer an invitation because somebody didn't know Christ that night and I tried to be clever when I should have just came clean. I'm just trying to come clean with you right now. Somebody doesn't know Christ. Somebody's messing with hell. And it's your call. And we're here to pray with you. We're here to help you. But we cannot make a decision for you. It's your choice. And as we sing, we want to be ready for you. And we'll be here for you as we stand and as we sing.